This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, my name is Stephanie Preisner and I'm here to tell you about my show, Basically. It's all in the name, really. The show makes things basic for people. We've done episodes about world religions. We've done episodes about COVID. We've done episodes, a lot of episodes about mental health and different aspects of mental health to make things accessible to people. One of the great things about the podcast is that you can contact me and let me know what topics you would like. So have a listen, see if anything tickles your fancy. And if there's something there that you think is missing, Please get in touch with the show. We'll cover the topic and then you can listen to it. We're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, so you can find us on headstuffpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Hello everybody, you're very welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. All the way from Belfast today, which we're really excited about. And um, today is a really cool episode, uh, personally, because we like, we're, we're, we've always been angling to try to do more up in the north and, and, and deliver content and, and first-hand accounts from all over the island of Ireland. So this is really exciting for us. Um, we've kind of been everywhere else, Cork, Galway, Dublin. So we've been, and I've been haranguing uh, friends of mine in the north to be uh, hosts. So it's my great pleasure to introduce um, um, director, uh, producer, actor, uh, and educator uh, Keith O'Brady uh, to the FNI Rap Chat team, which we're really excited about. Um, so we hopefully we'll be doing more episodes uh, from Belfast. And a massive thanks today for, uh, to Belfast Met um, for um, giving us a wonderful studio facility today to record. And Keith O'Grady, uh, say hello to the audience and say hello. And uh, how are you? <laughs> how are you? Um, how are you doing? Um, Keith is um, good beside uh, me. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> I'm beside myself. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I'm buzzing about doing it. I've, as you say, we've talked about it long enough. Uh, which we're very good at talking about yeah. stuff for long, long periods of time. <laughs> for long periods of time, um, which we'll eventually get around to doing. But um, yeah, I'm very excited about doing it. And the first guest uh, that we have is uh, an old friend um, uh, by the name of Lynn Davison. Uh, very, very exciting. Very exciting and a wonderful filmmaker um, who is hopefully now going to go on to amazing things after the uh, release of her debut feature. Um, we're going to be chatting. I'm going to be chatting to her today about um, her career, her background, what got her into film in the first place, uh, what her interests were, why she ended up making a horror movie, um, and all those things, and also uh, probably making an idiot of myself because it's my first time hosting it, but sure, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, if you want to make an omelette, you have to break a few eggs. Um, <laughs> so guys, just quickly, just to give you just some information about um, Lynn's debut feature it's on Shudder um, from the 10th of November it's called Mandrake um, and it really is worth uh, it's really worth your attention um, 
it's um, a fantastic kind of scare fest and you know one thing that we do really well um, in Ireland is particularly there seems to be like a, a great run of of, um, of genre work over the last kind of year or two and I think that kind of this feature adds to that I mean if you're if you've seen here before as well, which we really loved here at FMI Rap Chat by Stacey Gregg, and you know you're going to really enjoy this too. Um, wonderful uh, Irish, uh, Irish and Northern Irish cast, including Dervla Crotty. So it's going to be, uh, as well as um, who else is in it, Keith? Uh, Paul Kennedy plays a cop. He's the producer. Yeah. And um, who's? Uh, and Deirdre Mullins as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, Lynn Davison who is here as well in the background um, so yeah look 10th of November it's going to run then and it's well worth it you know sitting around and watching on the biggest screen possible at home um, and supporting um, you know hashtag Irish film um, so yeah enjoy the episode um, just an F- FNI related news we have a we have a couple of things coming up we have um, a pitching an online pitching competition which will be on the 30th of November so if you have an idea knocking around your brain box or your laptop or Google Docs um, and you think you can rattle it off in five minutes um, head on over to our uh, Facebook page um, that's uh, at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash film network Ireland and indeed our, uh, other social uh, networking pages and you'll find out more information about that. There's, there's some prizes and some mentorship as well that comes with the, with the first and second place. But most importantly, it's a great opportunity to pitch um, a, a prospective idea, whether it be long or short form, and, and, and pitch it to your peers, which is ultimately how you get films made. So, you know, um, people can't make your film if they don't know who you are. So come along. Uh, equally, we have uh, our FNI Christmas party on the 10th of December, which is on in Dublin City Centre. Again, more information is there. Bring a buy a five euro kind of, you know, film and TV book as a gift. Bring it along. Give it to somebody. Um, shake hands with somebody. Say hello. Um, show them that they're not alone in the vast uh, wilderness and emptiness that is filmmaking at times. It's these opportunities on your network that really help you. Uh, along uh, on your own personal journey so come along that's what FNI is all about and as always if you'd like to support the show come uh, over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI you can become a member or just buy us a coffee uh, two sugars and a drop of milk and I'll, <laughs> I'll drop it I, and if I see you in person I guarantee if you have some mango you owe me a coffee I'll buy you one in return so without any further ado uh, who have we got? we have Lynn Davison welcome to the crew you're f- you're in trouble now. Chatting to me, Keith O'Grady. <laughs> was that really formal? It was quite formal, yeah. It was a bit unnecessary, but formal. First of all, how you, I suppose, what, what actually gave you an impetus to become a filmmaker? What, when you were young, when you were a child, 
um, gave you an interest in becoming a filmmaker and what was your first steps in trying to uh, make that journey? Well, every night in my house was movie night. My mum is a brilliant cinephile and she has wonderful taste. You know, all of the films that we watched when we were little are our favourite films now. You know, I, I grew up obsessed with Jaws and Alien and Aliens and Terminator and Terminator 2 and The Thing. And, you know, it's, it is it is a never-ending list. But when we would watch these things, age rating be damned. Um, my, if I got scared, my mum would tell me that there were people behind the camera and it was all a game. And, you know, to think of it that way. And that was my first gateway to thinking this is something I could do and it looks like great fun and I could create something. And I was always a very imaginative child, you know, I would tell stories and, you know, we would we would actually uh, close the curtains on this very long hall that we had and we had light up Star Trek ships and we'd run up and down them having battles. And, you know, so we had constant activity like that in our house and never ending movies, you know, be it wall to wall VHS, which was just heaven. And I tried to instill that with, with my niece, but she has rebelled against that now. She hates films. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's interesting. Um, but the, uh, I mean, that so, so that watching umpteen films when you're uh, very young, would you consider that a massive part of your education in terms of how you approach filmmaking or do you just try and come at it from your own standpoint? No, I think you're right. I mean... I still have that childhood, childlike joy when it comes to filmmaking. You know, one of the reasons why uh, the producer, um, Paul Kennedy, and I got along so well and wanted to make stuff was because we were just so excited by the prospect of making something really cool and uh, to, to reference things that we like. I mean, even on set, it's, it's a brilliant shorthand with the people that you're working with. And you can go, it's just like this scene in the thing. And then, you know, I, that is a particular instance on my film where the first AD was like, I know exactly what you mean. And he just disappeared and made it all happen. And, uh, you know, so I love that. It's, it, it is a joy and love for film and love for creativity. And, uh, you know, I, I do get a kind of sick enjoyment from really gnarly things <laughs> that happen on screen. But, you know, um, not only is my love of film born of watching endless movies at home, you know, a, a love of science and a love of exploration, a love of marine life. You know, I'm a scuba diver now because of Jaws. I've gone cage diving with Great Whites because of Jaws. And I just you know, love that. Are, are you mental? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think I am, but, you know, it's it's just it's another world. And to have the, the capability to, to enter into that world is astounding. Yeah. Um, I can't help but when you tell me that story, but think of uh, Quint's line about the. The, the cage. Oh shark, my god! Cage goes no uh, Shark goes. So I I did the cage dive with my brother, and yeah. I swear, like we drove for hours from Adelaide to get to Port Douglas, and then we were on the boat, and the boat takes hours, and constantly throughout that entire process, we were just going cage goes in the water, <laughs> you go in the water, sharks in the water. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you you mentioned about I suppose you you and your mum and 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 that closeness that film gave you. But like as a teenager, then um, you develop a lot of ideas of your own, so you, and you become a, a wee bit rebellious naturally. Most people. So, I mean, as a teenager, did you feel the reason why I'm asking this is you've got a horror film coming out? Mm. Um, did you feel in any way as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, did you feel a wee bit odd, or 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 that you um, maybe didn't fit in in some way, and were you, were you attracted to the horror genre? 
well, because I, of that. Yeah. I still feel odd and that I don't fit in anywhere. I think a lot of filmmakers, <laughs> I think a lot of filmmakers do. We're all a bit weird. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, we meet each other, we get along. I mean, I met somebody brilliant at uh, a talk I did at the weekend. We were like afterwards, we were like, we should be friends. But we're probably too awkward to actually make that happen. <laughs> we'll just talk about films kind of randomly when we meet. But, you know, um, my teen years, we, we grew up in the countryside. My brother was very rebellious. You know, he was out all the time. But I think my parents were worried I was going to be a recluse because I just stayed in and watched stuff all the time. You know, an obsession with Xena and watching it over and over again and Buffy and, and just all of the, the VHS, which then, of course, transitioned to DVD, like, you just ended up watching the same films over and over again. And then whatever you were lucky enough to sneak away to watch on Channel 4 really late at night. Uh, you just reminded me, at a previous event where, where we uh, were doing an interview, we talked about She-Hulk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you watch the last episode? Did you see the last episode? Yeah, I did. What did you make of the last episode? I, I really enjoyed it. I love how She-Hulk is... It's it's kind of taking the temperature of the audience now. Yeah, we have a saturation of superheroes. Yeah. You know, like you, you watch one, you feel like you've watched them all, Aye. and it is a commentary on that. So whether you like it or not, I th I think it's making a great statement. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Me and my uh, youngest son loved it. My eldest son hates it, but uh, me and the youngest son were laughing a lot watching it. Mm -hmm. The last episode is mental for anybody who hasn't actually watched it. Check it out because it's kind of out there. Yeah, there's a, a surprise appearance from someone and yeah. they've done it in such a wonderful way that, you know, I, I just it really lapped up that scene because it was brilliant. So um, <clears throat> just to get back onto your own work early on, tell us a wee bit about what you did to begin, begin with. I mean, I know you went to uh, Belfast Met as it's now called Buffet as it once was yeah. and that's where we first met um, and tell us a wee bit about uh, your time in education and how that helped you in, in, in whatever way it did if it did uh, in your journey well, I dropped a J-bomb twice already I <laughs> promise I'll, I'll stop doing that well, I, I went to Biffy to do an ABCE in media communication and production. So that's the equivalent of two A-levels. And then I continued at Biffy to do a HND. So I spent four years in these really grounded practical courses where I was taught how to make films from every different angle. And there were elements of theory in there as well. But, you know, it was cutting straight to the chase of what I wanted. I wanted to know how to make stuff. And, uh, you know, and I started making, so I've, I've been making films since I was 15. The first two that I made were quite dark, you know, like murder stories and whatnot. But then after that, you know, I really moved into drama and how I wanted to wanted to be able to deliver drama before I would bring fantastical elements into it. But the greatest thing, you know, is the, the skills that I received from those courses and the friends that I made, because there was a friend that I made and we were on that journey together. I wanted to be a writer director and they wanted to be a cinematographer. And that's just a match made in heaven. So we worked together on a collection of shorts you know we're, we're still friendly her name is Ruth Woodside uh, she actually just shot a music video for Lena Dunham you know so we're we're still connected but when I I left Biffy, Biffy to go to university because I thought well I need I need a degree I need a degree to do what I want to do and I thought I was going to go into the university at, in the second year which which is what I had discussed with them but but when I got over they felt because it was both a film and photography degree that they I was lacking in my photography whereas my film was good but I would have to repeat so I stayed there for six months and 
just felt like I was going over things. And a lot of my friends from college were working on productions. There was a great spell of Mark Hoffman, uh, low budget horror films that were being shot in Belfast. And my friend Ruth, who I just mentioned, was working on them. So I just I decided to leave university. I remember that. That was the five uh, the, the contract. They had five uh, films, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ghost Machine and all, all those and uh, Red Mist. Red Mist, yeah, yeah, which in America is called Freak, Freak Dog. Freak Dog, yeah, yeah. I remember those five films. Uh, um, and so you, you, you were on a few of those, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I was on Red Mist and Ghost Machine. Uh, Ghost Machine, is uh, we were shooting all nights in the Crumlin Road prison for about a month. And I think everybody ended up with some terrible sinus infection. <laughs> <laughs> I've shot actually in uh, a prison before as well. And it's an old disused prison. That you'd be absolutely Baltic. It's not. It's not pleasant. Oh yeah, um, I mean, people said to me in some interviews about my film because a lot of it is outside, you know, about the the conditions. But as a film crew, you know, and as as have worked on in the camera department, that's what you're used to. You're used to putting your thermals on, your wet weather gear, and being prepared for any weather that comes your way. I think mostly uh, when it gets hot, I'm never really quite prepared for that. I don't. Yeah. I don't have uh, a go bag for hot weather. I probably should. <laughs> So um, before we get on to Mandrake, um, tell me a wee bit about, because I know that you made a few shorts uh, before you, you, you got on to making Mandrake. You came back from Napier, from Edinburgh, came here, you worked in crews in the camera department, but then you started to direct uh, shorts. Tell me a wee bit about that. Well, I mean, I, I always feel I do count my original shorts, you know, when I was 15, because I feel like it's all a learning experience and I do yeah, have course, them there. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to direct. It always felt like the most natural position for me because I, I always have a vision in my head of what I want to see or what the best way to do it is or what the emotions are that I want to want to come across and want to paint. And, uh, you know, going on that journey of having people really believe that you can direct, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier when you're doing shorts because a lot of my shorts were self-funded. Only one of them was funded by Northern Ireland Screen through the Access Shorts program, which I was you know, very grateful of, and that was in 2016. But, uh, you know, I did try to get funding, but mostly it's working with and finding the right people that want to yeah. do what you want to do. Just remind us, sorry to interrupt you, but remind me about that, or remind the listeners about that short, because I, I know what it is, obviously, um, uh, that NI Screen funded uh, because the brilliant Ian Beatty is in that. And um, it's very moving. And, and uh, Joanne Crawford, Crawford, it's a very moving film. Uh, so tell us a wee bit about it. Well, uh, the Access Shorts uh, uh, call was put out and I, I didn't have anything that was really ready to go. So I kind of took a little bit of time and thought over a few experiences that I had had and and what I thought might fit. So there was a story that I had heard when I started rock climbing um, from a group of people. And um, the story was that one of their friends had died in a motorcycle accident. And his dad took his climbing equipment out with uh, one of them and did a climb with all of his equipment so that he could remember his son and keep him alive. And then once they did that, they, they divided up the equipment to all of his friends. So. You know, I've I've a friend that every time she uses a certain piece of gear, she thanks her friend, and uh, so I thought that was so beautiful. But I I always approach things from um, you know a female angle, and I reworked it. So my short really is about remembering by doing, but it's a widow who is 
taken up to climb her first outdoor climb which she wished she had done with her late husband but never had the chance yeah. and uh, the short went on to do really well you know we went all around the world with it I even ended up on Aer Lingus flights between here and America I had uh, some Americans email me and tell me how moved they were yeah. there's this really touching email of a man who had, had lost his dad and he's told me that he started to remember him by doing he would go to this place that his dad and him loved for lunch every day that's really lovely and I know this isn't about me but <laughs> I had the exact same experience um, when I, I sold a short to Aer Lingus oh, and Amer- yeah. an American wrote to me. Oh, really? Uh, about um, about how it made them feel. And uh-huh. they, they wrote a gorgeous review online of it. It's just it's just really nice whenever I, your work gets out like that, isn't it? Oh, um, absolutely. And I also like I just I love how open Americans are with yeah. regards to that. You know, like, uh, much more than um, other people that I've met. I find Americans seem to be much more expressive in yeah. how you made them feel. Yeah. And the, the film... I remember, I think I asked you for a link or something because I missed it at a film festival. I can't remember, but uh, I remember watching it and messaging you about it straight after I watched it uh, because it, it does resonate. Uh, that moment when she's at the bottom of the mountain and she's about to go up and, you know, that really it really hits you in the gut because mm-hmm. uh, if any, anyone who's experienced any kind of grief... Uh, you know what that's all about, you know. Um, so, I suppose moving on to um, after you did that, you you wanted to develop features. But before I do go on to, with the actual story for the claim, um, did you get a writer brought in, or what way did that work, or did you get did a, did a script come to you for that? No, no, I wrote it. Um, you, I, yeah, I've I've I wrote all had written all of my shorts. Um, so I, I was inspired by the story my friends had told me and then I, I had written an outline and then I went through script development with Northern Ireland Screen. I, com- I completely forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot that you wrote it. It's quite funny. Uh, um, there's uh, I went to an event near the Encounters Film Festival in Bristol and huh. um, it was when I was living in England and I was just trying to get out and about and network. So it was uh, a, a, an event just for women and I was sharing a room in a hostel with... Um, uh, a girl from here she, now she is a director and I can't re- I think her name is uh, Liza Hunter um, but she she then started to tell me about how she studied my film The Climb at a class and loved my script like it was the script that she would turn to when she was writing because she loved it so much and she loved the the simplicity of it but the, the kind of the, the, the subtle beauty, beauty of it yeah and that was just so remarkable to actually. It's lovely to hear that stuff, isn't someone. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the structure, I think, if you come across a, a good script, the structure can be a massive, can have a massive impact on on other writers starting out. Yeah. So, uh, Mandrake, how did that all start? Well, uh, so I had moved away. I was living in England, um, and then I came back, and I had had a relationship with the development executive at Northern Ireland Screen before I had left because I, I went through script development with them on a different project. So I came back to say, this is this is all the stuff I have. This is everything I've been working on. But uh, do you have anything that you think I might like? So she said, yeah, we've, we've got this horror script. Um, I can put you in touch with the writer. 
So the next thing, Matt and I were exchanging emails and I got the script and I read it and quickly realized that this is something I need to be attached to. There's two brilliant, like fleshed out, complicated female characters in it that I just fell in love with and I could see it immediately. So, you know, as a writer myself, sometimes when I read other people's scripts, I can't quite see it because it's not touching me. It's not it's not breaking through. And um, and but this one, I could see everything that I wanted to do. And I knew that there were changes that I would like to make that would make it more creepy and more haunting. So the next step, obviously, was to meet Matt. So we met for a coffee and we wanted to make the same film, which is so rare to find. Like, uh, it was just a joy to be in his company and to chat with him. And we had a lot of the same influences and, you know, he where the story came from for him uh, about motherhood, you know, that that was from his personal experience. And then I was able to bring to it because I, I became the guardian of my niece when I was 25. She was 13. So I have this whole different perspective on parenting and motherhood and finding your own motherhood and that was all just ripe for the picking with this script so I was able to channel so much into it so after we got along I phoned my friend Paul Kennedy uh, a very great producer here and told him that a great actor too and a great actor yeah um I told him that uh, I have this script I've read and I think you'll love it and then a week goes by and the next thing he's optioned it so uh, things started to move quite quickly for us then you know I I basically, I had been pestering Northern Ireland Screen from the day that I graduated. So I think uh, Andrew Reid in particular was very happy to stop receiving emails from me every week um, by giving me the kind of go ahead of, of attaching me to the the, the film. Um, but, you know, I always say it sounds so quick, but there's about 17 years of networking and grafting and being crew. And of course, yeah. That built to that moment. Um, and you know it still doesn't feel real you know I've had the premieres I've, I've, I'm actually just back from a, a, fe- a great festival the, the Toe Horror Fantastic Film Festival in Northern Italy um, but it still doesn't really quite feel real um, but hopefully it will this uh, this week because Shudder is available on Shudder You mean Mandrake is available on Shudder? <laughs> Pardon me <laughs> yeah. um, I, uh, that's, uh, When is that out? The 10th? Yeah, two, so two days time. Yeah, so yeah. M- this week, you so, know, Mandrake will be available on Shutter um, this Thursday, the tenth of November. Yeah. Um, so, tell me a wee bit about. Uh, I mean, you, you were talking earlier there about the characters, the two female characters. Um, they were very, very strong performances, uh, right across the board, actually, in the film. And um, uh, we, we Jude Hill, actually, I've experience of as well. Mm-hmm. Um, who played um, one of the children in, in it? A very good wee lad uh, from Belfast. Uh, tell me a wee bit about your casting process. Like, why, how did you cast the women, for example? Well, uh, we were doing it all in the height of lockdown, so yeah. everything was done over Zoom, which you know can be a gift and a curse. Um, I've I've heard that you know actors are kind of spending their days sending out Zooms now, uh, which you know you kind of throw it out into the void and hope for the best yeah I think but, a lot of actors actually don't like that as well yeah yeah they prefer to audition live yeah uh, I think that the there's there's more dis, more disposable nature to it yeah with with zoom but uh when we were searching you know we we did like an island-wide search and uh, wanted to keep it northern Irish and then extended it you know to, to anyone from Ireland um but it, you know it was quite hard and it was it's hard to kind of fit the bill for everything that we needed um you know with Kathy it's a very physical role 
with Mary, it's a very engrossing character. She has to really capture you when you see her. And uh, when I first encountered our Kathy, played by Deidre Mullins, uh, she was just, she was Kathy on screen. You know, she had that, um, that same mindset that, you know, she was very logical, analytical. And, uh, you know, I, I could see that strength of Kathy in her. So she was, it was a safe bet really with her. Um, and then we were delighted that Dervla Karate even, you know, considered us as an option because Dervla is a wonderful theater actress. This was would have been her first feature and has now become her first feature. And she has this wonderful, captivating way about her in such a positive light. She really draws you in. And like when I'm with her, you know, I, I feel like when we talk about art or we talk about expression, you know, even we were talking about a trip to Italy, I was about to have, um, I just, I feel like I'm truly sharing it with her on the same level and she's a great light. So it was a wonderful tool to use that and to turn it around and kind of take her into the upside down of, of her personality and uh, use it as a tool for Mary and how calculating Mary is. Yeah. Adding the nuance to it because I did never wanted my my Mary to be a villain. I never wanted her to be, you know, the the guy twisting his mustache, enjoying all of his villaining. But uh, I wanted her to have her moral code of what she's doing, and it it makes sense to her, which is the most frightening thing. Because yeah. I find that's the most frightening thing with people: the capability of what what people would do for what they believe. Yeah. Which of course has been proven well, endlessly throughout history. <laughs> absolutely. What are you prepared to do to get what you want? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, I mean, looking at the Mandrake character as well, uh, how did you cast that person? I don't know how much I, I should say because I don't want to give anything away about the film. But Well, do you um, mean the, the wandering man? Yeah. Um, well, I think that Seamus O'Hara, who, plays, who, plays, part, who yeah. plays the wandering man slash Thomas, is... One of the great talents to come yeah, out of he is. Northern Ireland. He's such a remarkable actor and person. And he, again, is very captivating like Dervla. And I think Dervla was very captivated by him as well. I hope to see them work together again, especially in the theatre. But uh, I think he has so many layers and he gave so much when seemingly on the page, it would seem that the character Thomas has very little to give. But we wanted to construct this person that, for one, has been lied to his entire life and truly believes everything that he has been told and the, the, the paganism and the godlike structure. And that isn't to say that he is stupid or anything like that. It's more to show how this world has affected him and how every decision that his mother has made has affected him. And also I was able to pop in uh, type 1 diabetes with that character, which which I have myself. So that was uh, that was a great oh, kind of motivator for his journey within the story. And we were able to talk that through. And then there's a scene in the film where he takes an injection and he chests his blood sugar. So I was able to take him through how to do all of that properly, which was, which was great fun. Very good. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh Try and obviously without giving too much away, tell us uh, what the film is actually about. Because it, I remember when I first encountered it, I didn't know what a man what a mandrake was. No, 
Uh, so tell us what the film is actually about without giving too much away, obviously. Okay, so we follow the journey of parole officer Kathy when she is given a new release of an infamous person in the community called Bloody Mary, who is known to have killed her husband. And we see Kathy try and do her job, but strange things are starting to happen in the town that people can't ignore. And uh, it gets gets very dark, it gets quite witchy. Yeah, um, that's, very, that's very well done. You didn't give much away there. <laughs> um, the uh, the thing that really stood out, I remember telling you this before um, when I watched it, apart from the amazing performances, because all, all, all the actors are excellent in it, um, is the photography uh, and the soundtrack. I mentioned as well that the, the, the score is phenomenal, but the photography is really uh, so atmospheric. It's so on the money for what the film is supposed to be um, and very earthy which is brilliant because the film deals with this uh, idea of you know, a, a, a mandrake and as I say when I when I looked that up and looked into the you know, the folk mm-hmm. uh, the folklore about mandrakes I find the cinematography even more sort of fascinating um, tell us a wee bit about that about the, about the filming of it well you know I, I always approach everything from a visual place Anyway, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I did study photography myself and I worked in the camera department. And when I was working in the camera department, I met a camera assistant called Connor Rotherham. So if you fast forward to Mandrake, um, I was able to work with Connor Rotherham as my director of photography. So Connor and I worked very closely together in the weeks leading up to production to map out every single thing that we were going to shoot and exactly how we wanted it to feel. And I always love the, the, the tactile nature of films when it can kind of come out of the screen. You know, and when you watch my film, I feel like you can smell the mud and uh, feel the mist. And, you know, especially with the magic, you know, the magic was very grounded and it's about um, harnessing the power of nature. So it's really, it's, a, it's blood and mud is my magic rather than kind of the glittery magic that you would get from like the, the remake of The Craft. But, you know, Connor, Connor really, he gave this film his all. You know, it was his first feature film as well. Um, he shot everything handheld himself. And uh, we had a brilliant uh, sequence where we used a crane. Uh, and, you know, we knew the, the grips very well. Connor, of course, knew them better than I did from working longer in the camera department. But uh, they offered us so much time and effort and equipment because of you know simply who he was so so much was built into it through sheer talent and dedication and the connections that we had made throughout all the years we've been working and shooting the entire thing handheld is this like oh I said, I know. that's an undertaking so fair play to him i think he was absolutely destroyed by the end of it you know he was like lynn i can't move <laughs> and then uh, i had something else that was hopefully going to go and i was like well connor you better get ready because we're going to do it again <laughs> Was it like another take you needed? No, or? another film that was oh, hopefully right. going to go. Oh, and, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Although um, there was a time where we were shooting what I like to refer to as the train spotting scene, uh, uh-huh. you know, like the, the baby in the bedroom. Um, and uh, Connor sh- shot some stuff for me and he, he kind of fell back into his seat when I called cut and he was like, I can't do it again. <laughs> but thankfully, you know, we got we got everything more than everything that we needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was shot in 
was was it shot in the dead of winter or yeah we yeah. shot it in november yeah so uh but we were meant to go earlier in the year but then lockdown was called so yeah i remember um, this uh, so we were put we put a little bit more effort into script development um but thankfully you know we did shoot it in november because the you know, that just spills out from the screen. It just matches yeah. the story so well, which is I, I remember because Ju- we, we Jude's mum told me after he was shooting with me in October mm-hmm. that he was going to be shooting with you. Ah, OK. Afterwards. okay. And I told Shawnee, and I says, tell, tell, tell them best of luck. I says hello or whatever. You know. um, so I knew it was shot in the dead of winter. But how, I mean, how does that, like that's really got it. For, for a long shoot, it was what, 15, 18, 18 days, days uh, which isn't long for a feature film, but 18 days when it's all handheld in the dead of winter in Ireland is a big deal. How does that impact on everybody? I mean, we're, we're all at each other's throats or what? No, well, um, I think camaraderie was really born on the, on that set. I think that's the only way you really get through hard shoots like that. But, you know, from my perspective... Um, you know, I, I enter into ev- everything that I do with a great deal of respect for all of the people that I'm working with. And, uh, you know, everybody was mucking in on the shoot and helping out. You know, I was carrying stuff as well and trying to help and would bring food in. And, you know, it got to the point where people were really, they believed in what we were doing and they believed in me in what I was doing and trusted me. So, uh, you know, people will go through hell for you. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's really yeah. important that... Uh, because it puts you at ease. It was your debut feature, so yeah. like knowing that everybody's behind you obviously puts you at ease as well. You know. Yeah, and and then on the the crew gift that we all got, you know, the the we all got Mandrake T-shirts, but on the back of it, you know, we said we survived Mudgate because we had a week where we were all just <laughs> knee deep in mud. <laughs> Very good. Um, so what? Uh, uh, Mandrake's out on November tenth. Um, what's up? What's coming up next for well, Lynn Davison? I have a, f- a few things that are cooking, um, a few things that were going to go and then they, they didn't go. But, um, you know, I've, I'm a writer as well, so I've written quite a bit. I've got a post-apocalyptic sci-fi that uh, I'm pushing at the moment and uh, a few other Wicker Man sti- type style horrors. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I've got a series that's uh, been likened to True Detective and Mayor of Easttown. Uh, so... Basically, I'm not sure what's next, but uh, the future seems really bright. I'm actually, I'm heading to LA this Sunday for a week of meetings and things. So hopefully, you know, hopefully things can move forward and I can... Fantastic. Yeah. And is that, uh, you meeting producers or... Producers and managers and Brilliant. agents. Brilliant. And, yeah. So all the stuff that, all, all, all the things that you're cooking at the minute, the ideas that you're writing at the minute, um, like any filmmaker, like... You've had your fair share of rejection, I'm sure, with the stuff oh, that God, you're writing, yeah. of course. Um, we, all, we all get it and you have to become thick-skinned. How do you deal with uh, rejection, well, personally? You know, um, I try to let the rejection wash over me and it certainly hasn't always been the case. It used to be devastating, you know, when you would you find out that you didn't get the, the funding from Northern Ireland Screen that you were relying on to actually make the film happen. Um but, you know, the films that were rejected and the films that didn't get the, the money, I, I still made them. I made them anyway. And it was a learning experience. And I, I take every rejection as a lesson. And I take every positive thing that happens as a lesson. And I try to remember those positive things when I'm in the face of rejection. 
and when um, when you know my script didn't land but there's still a connection with the person there the producer might still want to work with you on something else so I always have to remember that it's not so much intrinsically about the work it can be about me as a person and half the time you just got to sell yourself to someone and and that's a lesson I wish I had learned much sooner yeah. and certainly one that I would love to offer to other people and I think as well it's people need to younger uh, or not necessarily younger but fresher to the industry people starting out sometimes they need to understand that it's not a it's not a personal thing a relationship needs to be strong doesn't it I mean the producer director relationship is vital to the success of any film so mm-hmm. um, yeah because you need you need your producer to be your champion yeah. you need them to be in the meetings you know having your back all the way through it and that's not even just through production that's pre-production production post-production all of the what I'm doing right now you know you need those champions and when you find the right one it's it's like finding you know a romantic partner it's like it just clicks and you know that person and you're like right okay yeah let's do this um but you know there are things to look out for I would say if if you are entering into you've sent somebody a script and they want to develop it with you pay close attention to how they want to develop it with you are they asking you questions about your script and what you think and what you feel and what are the options that you think you could do or are they telling you how to change it because if they're telling you how to change it in my experience that is not a dynamic working environment that is that person doesn't have your voice at the center of this yeah that's a very very difficult that's a very difficult conversation that needs to be had yeah very very quickly and you you have to as a writer and as a director you have to become attuned to this very quickly because you're in these situations and sometimes people can go yeah I want to option that and you're so excited by the prospect that you jump in but it may not be the best fit for you um, you know obviously I would take every opportunity and apply for everything you know and in, in the dead of night I would sometimes panic and just look for everything that's available that I can apply for and I'll just apply for it and that'll quell my anxiety for a bit but uh, definitely pay attention to the people that you're working with yeah I mean we're talking about rejection but it's a very brave decision as well and an important one to uh, make that decision yourself not to take part not to be a part of that relationship um, if indeed a producer, a production company offers to option something but want to completely change it. If that's not for you, it's important that, you know, I think you acknowledge that, isn't that right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, I mean, it's, it's likely going to be hard anyway if, you know, because development can be a tricky thing to get through and as can production. But if you're on the same page, it's a little bit easier because you know that everybody's wanting to make the same kind of film. Everybody wants that, that same delivery. But, you know, if you're working with somebody that wants a little bit more Hitchcock, where you're a little bit more Kubrick, it's it's not really going to work out. Yeah. In my opinion. I think you're just, you're, you're sizing your setup or you're setting yourself up for trouble. Yeah, that's a really, it's very strong uh, uh, opposite there. Hitchcock <laughs> and Kubrick. One man who walks on set and everything's already done and organized and ready and he his attitude about directing was, I already did it all. All I have to do now is watch you act. <laughs> yeah. And then the other guy does 100,000 takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So two very different Practically styles. crippling yeah. actresses. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, look, Lynn, best of luck uh, with the release of Mandrake. Um, 
brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And as I say, uh, it's available on Shutter from November 10th. Thanks a million for coming in to chat to us. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. And I find these things are so important. Um, you need to have people on your team. You need to, we need to talk about what's happening in the industry. You need to talk about, uh, you know, the our treatment. Are they asking you questions in your development? Because you need to share these stories because otherwise you go in blind and uh, that can be really detrimental, especially for your career, but for your mental health. You know, we all have to be there for each other. So this is why the networks like this are just so important. Brilliant. Thanks a million.